0: Well, I'd like to welcome you. We're at the um, midweek point for Shepherd's Chapel. We are in the book of Acts. We are in our study in Acts 16. At the moment, Paul is on his second missionary journey, uh, going about with Silas now, and uh, that's uh, for him a new traveling companion instead of Barnabas. Also, Timothy, who was a younger protege. We um, introduced Timothy last time, and we were talking about how Timothy, for the sake of some of the believers who come from a Jewish background, Paul didn't want to cause any offense, so uh, asked Timothy to be circumcised even though it wasn't necessary for salvation. Nevertheless, Paul knows and Paul preaches and Paul practices that when it comes to the gospel, um, Christian believers ought to uh, try to be as accommodating as possible, becoming, as it were, all things to all men. And this is just a perfect example of that. So I'm going to reread part of the narrative from last time and follow with me as, after we pray, um, I'll read the first 24 verses of Acts 16, but let's begin by asking our Heavenly Father to open our eyes and open our hearts. Father, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you might bless us with your blessing, that you would help us in every way see truth that otherwise we can't see and understand it in a way that is different than the way the average person without spiritual eyes uh, only is able to see it help us to see it supernaturally and we have asked that that spirit that same spirit of yours your holy spirit would apply these truths to our heart hearts and make us to understand uh, your living word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 16, beginning in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem so that churches were strengthened in the faith, And they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of macedonia was standing there urging him and saying come up come over to macedonia and help us and when paul had seen the vision immediately we sought to go into macedonia concluding that god had called us to preach the gospel to them so sailing south or sailing so setting sail From Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We, We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, "'If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay.' and she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit i command you in the name of jesus christ to come out of her And it came out very hour but when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone they seized paul and barnabas and dragged them into the marketplace before the owners and when they had brought them to the magistrates they said These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had been... uh, And when they had been afflicted with many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, what we've covered so far is, as we begin this journey, a couple of things we need to remind ourselves of. Number one, They're not going out to the church van, turning on the air conditioning and saying, okay, let's fill it up, get some snacks at the convenience store and head on up the road and we'll stop in this town and the next town and the next town. And they'll just all be there welcoming us with open arms. No, most of this is they're going about by foot. It's hot, it's humid, it's dirty. For the most part, the Apostle Paul is a self-sustaining missionary. After all, how does he support himself? Anybody remember? Paul's a tent maker. He makes tents. He sells tents. He's for the most part self-sustaining. He's not got a salary from the church at Antioch. What little he has beyond what he gets from his tent making is probably given along the way in the different places he's going. But it's not like he's going to an old favorite congregation to see them again. He's going into new towns. It would be like him starting here in North Wales, and he walks from here with his entourage ...down to Abington. Abington from here is about 10, 12 miles away. They get down there. Nobody knows who they are. They go into the local synagogue. They identify themselves as Jewish men... ...who are out and about, and they're invited perhaps to speak. And while they're speaking, they share with those folks in the congregation truths about Jesus that they've gleaned from the Holy Spirit out of the Old Testament. And this is how it goes. This is how they're doing what they're doing. Going from place to place, town to town, after long days on the road, making a tent here and there, selling, moving on. But this is what the missionary journeys are all about. This is not some fancy ifalutin situation going on this is not being televised there are no commercial contacts there's no corporate sponsors like coca-cola or mcdonald's saying hey paul you do your thing and you just wear your logo or our logo rather on your toga and we'll pay the freight nothing like that so i want you to understand i want to paint that picture so you don't miss that and now they've done this and after they've done this initially they're thinking about a couple of different places and the the uh, the phraseology the Holy Spirit uses is rather interesting because in verse 6 it says they were going to go from where they were next to Phrygia and Galatia because they have been forbidden by the holy spirit to speak the word of the lord in asia now why would god do that why would god do that again i want you to think about this okay here's a missionary this is virgin territory the gospel hasn't been preached anywhere they're about to go off into asia and the Holy Spirit stops them. Does that ever happen to you and me? Of course it does. You have different ideas in terms of, you know, when a person is younger, where they want to go to school, and they fill out the applications for admission, and they don't get accepted. Here's another situation. A person applies for a job. Oh, they just can see themselves behind that desk in front of that computer pro or computer, on their desk with a portfolio of work ahead of them. The only problem is they haven't been hired yet. They pray about it. Oh, Lord, this would be the perfect job for me. And God says, no, it's not the perfect job for you. One place that pastors see quite a bit is when individuals come and they say, you know, Pastor, I met this young gal. She'd make a perfect mate for me. I know she's the one. Down the road, when we've been dating a while, would you consider doing counseling with us? Because we want to get married and we want you to marry us. which the pastor looks at his young friend and said there's only one problem and his young friend says to him pastor what's that he says well there's only one of you here telling me that and until that young lady shares that same vision with you there's not a we that we're talking about there's an I that we're talking about if the two of you become a we who want to end up spending the rest of your lives together, and you've been dating a while, and you seem like a good fit together, I'll be more than happy to spend that time counseling with you. So there are times that we're prohibited from doing things. What's interesting here, though, is the particular word that's used. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean they were always forbidden to speak the word in Asia? We're not told that. We're simply that here, no, not happening. Don't want you to go there. Why? Want you to go here. Why? Well, if you're God, God might rightfully reply this way. I I don't need to tell you that. That's really none of your concern in much the same way that after Jesus restores Peter, at the very end of the Gospel of John, John tells us in the final chapter that Peter is so caught up, not with being restored to the place among the apostles that he was, but he's more taken up with What about him? And he points to John. And Jesus says to him, What is that to you? What what he's going to do. What is that to you? You follow me. See, you have a calling and you have a calling and you have a calling and I have a calling. But mine is different than yours and yours is different than his, and hers is different than hers, and so on and so forth. God has made us different in the kingdom for different purposes. God has given us different talents, different abilities, different dispositions, different personalities to be used in his way. And... Again, we don't know all the information. It's just that here we have the advantage of of Luke writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Paul and Silas and Timothy at the moment are being forbidden to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them Again, the idea of opening and closing doors. How do we know what the doors will be? How do we know which ones will open and which ones won't? The Apostle Paul writes about this himself in a place in the book of Romans. Let me turn your attention there. There are plenty of folks that I know that often have asked me, This question. I really want to know what God's will is for me. I really want to know what God wants me to do. To which I will sometimes say, Let me begin by saying, if you're thinking that, you're putting the cart before the horse unless you've done these things. Pastor, what things? And I turn them to this passage in Romans chapter 12, and it reads this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, so let's go back to your question, I say, at that point. Oh, I forget what my question was, Pastor. Oh, let me help you. Your question was, what is God's will for me? God's will for you is this. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's where you begin. You present yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, number one, front and center, you present yourself. Okay? Here's the person, he's just starting a new job. Wants to know, what's my new job? Well, your new job starting tomorrow as we want you to start at 8 o'clock. You be here front and center at 8 o'clock. If that person's smart, where are they going to be at 8 o'clock? Front and center, right there. Okay, I'm here. What do you want me to do? Well, for starters, good job. 8 o'clock, you're here. Great. Now what? Well, next. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right? The believer, what does that mean? Don't be like the world. What's that mean? Well, what's the the overarching approach that the world takes to life? I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to get all the gusto I can because I only go around once. As long as I don't hurt anybody, I can do whatever I want. Says who? Says who? Says you? Well, if you're a Christian, God says this. Don't be conformed to the world. Okay, how am I conformed to the world? Well, when you get up in the morning, what are you thinking about? Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? And again, I've shared this with you folks before, but let me share it again because I love the illustration. When people ask me the question, what's God's will for my life? I say, let me illustrate it this way. Many people make lists, things I have to do. I don't do that too much during the week. I know pretty much what I need to do day to day. Generally, you know, as a result of emails, as a result of phone calls, text messages, so forth, follow-ups. On my days off, it's a little different. It's less structured. And I get up and I generally will make a list. The list might be the following. Get gas. Go to the bank. Go grocery shopping, either at Weiss or at Giant. Wash the car. I may come over to the office and do some studying here because it's quieter than with my dogs at home. There are different people that I want to follow up with over the phone via email, or in person. So I'll make my list. It might be five things, it might be ten things, and if it carries over to the next day, that's fine. I don't put crazy pressure on me on on any days off that I make. But here's the illustration. The problem with that is it leaves something important out because if Jesus was conducting a class on making a to-do list making a list of priorities he might take this approach instead folks as you begin your list i want you to think about this what's the most important commandment and he would say this the most important commandment is love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your mind, all your strength and that's number one number two, love your neighbor as yourself so if that's one and two in terms of God's priorities for you what should be on your to-do list number one and number two and after that go to the bank go to the The supermarket get gas everything else and most Christians don't do that because most of us think oh you know I I know that's what God wants me to do but the problem is we don't do it we just don't do it and we assume God's cool with that God's okay with that God understands and it's like no 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 when jesus is asked the question he's asked the question by somebody who's snarky and who's self-righteous and he wants to know so teacher what's the greatest commandment and he puts the question back on the pharisee but he's making a point in doing that that the first and greatest commandment is priority number one every day For the rest of your life. Loving your neighbor. Which is second greatest commandment. Is priority number two. After you do those things. If you got to go to the bank. Go to the bank. If you got to go to Wawa. Go to Wawa. If you want to get a cup of coffee. At Dunkin Donuts. Get a cup of coffee at Dunkin Donuts. But if you're not focusing your heart. On one and two. You're just paying lip service to God. And what Paul's doing is he's illustrating it the same way in different wording when he says, don't be conformed to the world. Well, what's it mean to not be conformed to the world? The world doesn't think like that. The world's thinking about taking the kids to soccer practice and going to the bank and going to the grocery store without ever thinking about the first and greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to somebody about is it is it possible? Is it okay for somebody to be a believer in the kingdom and to be rich? And I said, of course it is. I said there's no no problem with being rich. And what immediately came to mind was the man that saw his barns, and he looks out over the barns, and he says, you know these barns are getting on the small side. Got to tear them down and build bigger barns what's the condemnation in that chapter the condemnation is this not that he wanted bigger barns it was that he was not rich toward god he wasn't rich toward god and the world isn't rich toward god so if you don't want to be conformed to the world don't be like the world by leaving god out of the picture You make sure that God is number one and your neighbor is number two. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? Here's how you do it. There you go. For those of you who are listening, on Spotify, I'm holding my Bible in my hand, and I'm waving it up and down. And i'm making the point you renew your mind by learning what this says you learn to think how god thinks and how do you learn to think what god thinks not by reading the philadelphia inquire not by watching pbs documentaries not by sitting down with a bunch of spiritual-minded friends over coffee talking about a sermon although that might be a part of renewing your mind but the idea is you renew your mind by getting closer and closer and closer to a better understanding of what god says and what god says isn't in all of these books of mine it's in this particular book do you want to know what god says About marriage? Read the Bible. Do you want to know what God says when you have a situation going on in your life and you just can't bring your heart to forgiveness? Read the Bible. Do you want to know what it means in the Bible? Or do you want to know, for example, what it means to develop friendships? Read parts of the book of Proverbs. How about dealing with a fool? Read the book of Proverbs. How about, how should I interact with brothers and sisters in Christ and the world around me? Go through the epistles when it talks about loving one another, being kind to one another, serving one another, communicating with one another, caring for one another, honoring your parents, putting others ahead of yourself. And seeing how that's done in a practical sense. What's the purpose of that? That's renewing your mind. It's not a matter of thinking about it. It's a matter of thinking about it and doing it. What does that mean practically? And as I often do, and again for those in our audience that aren't here and not uh, seeing or, or as familiar with, one of the ladies that's regularly here, when we're doing this is a woman named Margaret and I sometimes will refer to Margaret. I'm going to refer to Margaret again. But here's an example of renewing our minds together. Okay? Putting others ahead of yourself. Now what does that mean? Well, let's say we're out together in a group of people And that group of people is going through a buffet line. And she's hungry as a bear. And I'm as hungry as a bear. And we want to go ahead of each other. And I'm thinking about what does it mean to renew my mind. And I read earlier in the day about putting others ahead of me. As hungry as I am, if it only looks like there's enough food in that line for one other person, God says, Bill, I want you to put Margaret ahead of you. That's what it means. That's exactly what it means. Now, here's the problem. Margaret is just as spiritually minded. And she's looking at me and she's saying, Pastor Bill, you go ahead and make. So we got to then sort that out among ourselves. But that's what it means practically in terms of renewing your mind. It doesn't mean having this idea and then just thinking about it and doing nothing with it. It means if we walk over to Wawa and grab a cup of coffee and I reach in my wallet and I give the cashier a $10 bill and she gives me change for a twenty dollar bill. What's that mean? Margaret wouldn't look at me and say, Pastor Bill, she gave me an extra ten. Quick, put it in your pocket. Quite frankly, I don't know that Margaret would say anything, because she's just a kind hearted spiritual person. But nevertheless, Margaret would probably be confused if she saw me take the ten dollar bill extra that wasn't mine and slip it in my pocket. She's figuring that Pastor Bill's going to take that extra 10 and do what I've done more than a few times over my lifetime. Excuse me, I think you gave me $10 too much and give it back. And the person looks at me and says, why did you do that? You could have kept the extra 10. Oh, I could have. You wouldn't have known it. She would have known it, but more importantly, he pointing to the sky, he would have known it. And he would have wanted me to give it back to you. That's what renewing your mind is. It's practically applying the word of God to your heart so that your heart is motivated to actions that please God that otherwise would not be actions pleasing to God because you're just operating out of sinful heart responses. So don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then as a result you test the doors. And what I mean by testing the doors you try this or you try that. If it's not something that's prohibited in the bible go ahead and do it if god doesn't want you to do it god will shut that door on the other hand he may allow you to do certain things but this idea that you know i gotta figure out the will of god and what is meant by that is something that you know i want some kind of inside track and And God's going to speak to me or, you know, I'm going to feel better about something or... No, it's not that. It's not that at all. It's present yourself. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm here. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm here. I'm ready. What do you want me to do today? For me, that one's real easy, you know. I get up in the morning. You know, if my wife comes down the stairs before I leave... I'm reminded what's God want Bill to do? Husbands love your wife. That's on my to-do list. Whether I write it down or not, that's on my to-do list. The reminder that God has given me a wife and God expects me to love my wife. It's not something that changes. I don't have to think about it. I means I go to work I work for the good of my employer. I interact with other people. It means I treat them the way God expects me, or that God, let me say it differently. God wants me to treat them in a way that I would want to be treated. The golden rule. God wants me to esteem them better than myself. God wants me to be humble before them, thoughtful careful in my speech careful in my interaction short to blow fuse and so forth he wants me to put into practice things that are all part and parcel of this the revealed things of God and do it in a practical way but that again goes back to what we're looking at in Acts, and we'll wrap up. So go back to Acts 16, if you followed me here, to Romans. Because while they're trying to figure out where should we go and where shouldn't we go, God is telling them you're forbidden to go to Asia. How's he? How's he communicating that? We're not told. Next. Um, they wanted to go to Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. How did that happen? Maybe they were told, or more often than not, maybe providentially, something happened. Maybe the road was out. Maybe the road was out. You know, there have been times that I've wanted to get from A to B And I haven't been able to. Haven't been able to because areas have been closed off. There was a time up in Bloomsburg, for example, where there were flood warnings and there was an area that it was blocked off. It was barricaded. There was a police presence around it. Had to get through into this Surrey camp. Can't do it. So, how is the spirit of Jesus preventing them from going to Bithynia. We're not told. We're simply told that God is preventing it from happening. So passing by, they went down to Troas, and then that night, a vision comes to the Apostle Paul. Well, what's a vision? A vision is a God-given appearance, dream, whatever, and, and, and the brothers are being told, Paul is being told by a man of Macedonia standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Odd things. Things that sometimes we just don't understand. You know, when when we left to go up to Bloomsburg years ago, we had no idea what exactly we were going to end up doing. I had no idea I was going to end up five years at a church as a pastor of counseling in a particular church until God made it so obvious with an offer from the pastor and the board of that church who barely knew me simply knew of my experience from what I had told them and then when I you know we decided to leave Bloomsburg and come back here and my wife asked me what are you going to do when you get back to Montgomery County and I said I don't know I said are you going to be in contact with anybody and I mentioned a few people one of which was Donna and I remember that conversation went something like this hey Donna it's Bill hi I mean we had stayed in regular contact you know from the time that we moved up there until we came back what's up I said well I said, you didn't believe it when I told you and Dan that we were moving up to Bloomsburg. We can barely believe it ourselves, but we're moving back from Bloomsburg to Montgomery County. And the very first thing she said to me, the very first thing she said to me, when are you coming back? And I said, when am, when am I coming back what? She said, when are you coming back to land? I said, to do what? She said, your old job. She didn't have to think about it. And obviously, I already thought about it. that if that ever happens, you're coming back in the same capacity and you know we just need to sort out a few details and you're going be ready to work in a week. Well, that was easy. Real easy. Sometimes God makes things that easy. And sometimes it's more difficult. So it was with the apostles. Sometimes I'm sure they were scratching their heads and saying, Lord, why on earth do you want us here? Later on in this chapter, they're going out to one place and they're just speaking away. They had no idea who they were going to meet that afternoon. And they met a, a woman who sold purple garments. She was a woman entrepreneur. Her name was Lydia. And they start talking, and Lydia is listening, along with the other woman, women. What happens? Lydia becomes a believer. Lydia becomes a, a believer who's also gracious in immediately inviting them into her, her home. Was probably a big helpful influence in the early church. But there were those surprises along the way. One of the differences between Jesus and his ministry and the apostles and their ministry is with Jesus, none of the people were surprises. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he knew that he was going to be meeting the woman at the well. When Paul and Silas and Timothy met, Lydia, they had no idea they were meeting Lydia that day. But God has his believers in every place. People that he's foreknown and predestined and in the process of calling into the kingdom and as a result of their call into the kingdom are being justified and becoming believers in Christ who will then sanctify and glorify. Those are the things that I wanted to share with you today. And we'll talk a little bit more about Lydia next time. Lord willing, next time it will be uh, Wednesday instead of Tuesday. And then I think we're going to be taking a, a few weeks off until after Easter. Let's close in prayer. Father, we pause to give you thanks again for hearing us as we pray. For this time together, in Jesus' name, amen.